This is a Media Lab podcast. Hey, Kyle. Hey. Uh, what? Do you know where I can park this thing? What the? What, what did you come on? It's this uh, thing. What do you guys call it out here? It's like a little machine. It's got a chair. I think you cut grass oh, with it. Oh, yeah. A little machine that cuts grass. Yeah, that's, that's what we call it out here in the West. Anyway, shut up about your thing. No one cares. We are, and actually more appropriately, I cracked the first rune message. Uh, what's what's a rune again? You know this like deep quality fiction that we've been building for the last six weeks. Well, I've I've cracked this message that's been written and scrawled upon my walls. At least the first line I've I've uh, unearthed. It says, "When it comes time, go through." That's a terrible pickup line. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle and Dave, Dave versus, versus the machine. The machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. And my name is David. And I'm the Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Today, we're going to be watching the film The Straight Story. This morning you fall and you can't get off the floor. That's your hips, Alvin. And you're going to have to use a walker now to get around. No walker. I love a lightning storm. Me too, Dad. A cloud. I had a... a stroke. Rose, darling, I'm gonna go back on the road. And I, I've gotta make this trip on my own. I've got to go see Lyle. I know you understand. Fun fact, actually. So we had this push mower, uh, like this little orange little push mower. And I actually preferred it because I thought it cut the grass better than the riding lawnmower on my farm. So I really enjoyed the exercise of pushing this thing around like half an acre of grass uh, in the summertime. One day. I just filled it up with gas and accidentally spilled some on the top of it. And I was like, ah, whatever. That's, it'll be fine. It'll evaporate by the time I start this thing. Third pull catches on fire. The whole thing is just on fire on, on the top of this like push more. And I ran away. <laughs> just like bolted. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. This thing is going to explode. Um, and so then I had to come back and I like, like beat it out to like put out the flames and, uh, never told my parents that I set the lawnmower on fire. <laughs> well, considering they're the only ones that listen to this podcast, they do know now. Also, right. uh, this is the great material you'll get. If you become a Patreon supporter, mm -hmm. you can get access to all of Kyle's anecdotes about growing up on a farm. On a farm. Who knows if this is even going to be in the episode, but we'll see. Uh, Dave, before we jump into our like relationship with this film, David Lynch in general... Uh, I do want to double back on something. We actually received a message, an email message to our email account, which you can do as well. Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com is where you can send feedback to. And this is from, I'm going to say it's Jessica. I think it's Jessica. I don't, I forgot to write it down. But Jessica writes, I couldn't help but notice that at the end of your five weeks of talking about the 1999 Best Picture nominees, that neither you or Dave had the conversation about who you would have picked to win. Um, and there's some other stuff here, too. But that is basically the, the thrust of it. And uh, I was going to ask that question to Dave, but forgot to ask it about him when we were in our American Beauty episode. How is it possible for you to be so bad at your job? So let's double back now. And uh, you don't know this, Dave, but me and the machine will sometimes talk mostly about you when you're not here, but also about other topics and things. Not suppressed. And I think there'll be some time at the end of this first season to discuss, in general, if we were the Academy, if David Yun and Kyle Marshall 
were the Academy, who would we give awards to? We'll have a more fuller conversation about that. But let's just say that we were members of the Academy, got our ballots in the mail, and the five Best Picture nominees they said that year were The Sixth Sense, The Cider House Rules, The Insider, the other one, what am I forgetting? American Beauty. (laughs) Oh, and The Green Mile, and The Green Mile. So those are the five. Who would you, you, David Young, nominate, or not nominate, who would you pick for Best Picture out of those five? Am I like, is it me as myself or me as a douchebag critic? No, no, no. Actually as you, you, you've somehow yeah. been plucked out of the ether and said, you are now a part of the Academy, which I'm going to call my shot. I would love to be someday. I just want to be a member of the Academy so I can vote on things. They just opened it up. They, they mm-hmm. accepted like 800 new members last year alone or something like that. They've been really packing in the amount of people into it. So uh, let me be part of the Academy. Judging by the previous election, probably only 40% of them actually, actually cast voted. a ballot. Interesting thing, what they do, <laughs> and this is why, in my opinion, the last few years have been a little wild as far as who wins best picture, because it's the only category that does it this way. You actually rank your choices. And so you have to get 50% of the vote. Huh. So they do it once, and if you don't have 50% of the vote, they cut off the lowest percentage one and then redo it again. Anyways. We're not doing that. Who would you pick? Number one, best picture of those five <laughs> nominees. I know what mine uh, is. Six cents. Oh, okay. That's what I would have picked too. Yeah. What yeah. I would love. I cut you off. Yeah, there. sorry. I would also pick the six cents. Of those five, at least, I think it is 100% the best movie. And 20 years later, I think is the one that holds up the best. Yes. Yes. They've actually, there's been some people throw it out here. I don't know if you would enjoy this of setting a certain time frame, whether it's like 20, 25 years, 30 years, and having the current Academy re-vote on those awards from X amount of years ago and see if the same movie actually won. Mm. I would actually like to see that and to see where it falls. Uh, there's all, You're such a nerd. I am a nerd. I personally <laughs> wish that Price Waterhouse <laughs> would release it after like a decade or something like that of how close certain years actually were. Because I think that oh, they don't tell you the votes. They don't. Oh. And I hate it because I would love to know some years like how close was another movie to win over Green Book? Who who was the second pick that year of who could have possibly won? Or, you know, the year between um, Shakespeare in Love and Saving Private Ryan. Like how close was Saving Private Ryan to actually have won that year? Was it like a blowout or was it like five yeah. votes is all that it took? It was probably very close. Yeah. It's probably one yeah, vote. Probably. Spielberg but, uh, decided I not to vote know, that yeah. year. And like, that's the one year. Spielberg seems like the type of guy who wouldn't vote for himself. I agree with that. He probably was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote yeah. for this plucky upstart. I don't even know who directed that movie, honestly. Hanks. No idea who even directed that movie. I feel like Tom Hanks would do the same thing. He's just like, you know what, guys? Enough's enough. You, you, you did a great job. <laughs> yeah, you did a great job. Uh, all right. This, this segment brought to you by Kyle's undying love of numbers and, and academy statistics. Uh, Dave, let's get into this movie, I guess, I guess, a little bit more broadly. So what is your relationship with the straight story and David Lynch in general? So I have no relationship with this movie. I've never heard of it. Nothing doesn't register okay. at all. What's what's so your relationship that. with lawnmowers then? <laughs> uh, well, you rode in you on know, one. We had an electric. Yeah, mm-hmm. we had an electric one. I mowed a lot of lawn. How much lawn did you have in Toronto? Uh, tiny, yeah. but it's a lot because I don't want to do it. And our neighbor had the old school uh, mechanical oh, when you push the blades, the blades would roll. I am so turned on right now. And yeah, my, I always thought that was really cool. Yeah, those are cool. Uh, my uncle, his sister was mowing the lawn with those old mechanical ones back in 1950-something, 60-something, and uh, cut off his two fingers. So even to this day, he only has half his fingers on his middle and ring finger on his right hand. I mean, they are pretty much exposed sickles uh, flipping around in a circle, but uh, I grew up uh, in North York in the first, uh, second house, but the first semi, and I had uh, a lot of, that was like when neighborhoods had friends who hung out. And my friend's little brother got his foot caught in the electric mower mm. when he was like two. That's not good. Yeah. That's not good. No, that was a bad one. Yeah. I don't, I didn't fall. I was like five or four. So I, I didn't, it's not like I went and found out if he was okay after. And we moved okay. shortly. No, we, we, I don't remember actually how old I was. But so it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty convenient here that there's a, an accident that befell this young neighbor. And then you suddenly left town like a week after mm. that. Seems a little suspicious to me. I was never questioned. 
and uh, we're past the statute. And so, you can't prove anything, you know, so... I owe no answers. Yeah. <laughs> um, David Lynch has a great pompadour. Yes. I don't know if it's technically a pompadour. It's like his own look. Uh, He's got a very I distinct look, I think we look, briefly yeah. chatted about it. My relationship with David Lynch is probably Dune. Mm -hmm. and, Which uh, you have a love affair of Dune that is much more deep than I think a lot of people Yeah, says. I love Dune. I think I first watched Dune probably on TV and I just thought it was pretty cool and weird. I didn't appreciate how bad the ending is, but um, I just thought it was weird because it was giant worms and uh, blue-eyed people. Not in the uh, Aryan way, but literally glowing. And they uh, shoot things with their mouths. It's, it's a fucking weird movie. But I do remember, I think it's Lost Highway, whatever, whichever movie did that the score was Trent Reznor. And I bought that CD and that was a weird movie. I'm pretty sure that pretty is Lost Highway. Yeah. And that's a great, those are great tunes, pre-emo, but pretty hardcore, uh, but you know, movie-ish. I'd like that. And also, I don't think I've watched anything else. I missed Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember if I've watched Mulholland Drive, but I just know he's weird. He's just a yeah. weirdo. And he makes weird movies. Yeah. Um, I'll answer these questions in the reverse order. So let me start with David Lynch. Um, as with many things, my first introduction to David Lynch was actually via The Simpsons and them doing parodies of some of his things, like especially Twin Peaks, which was parodied a few times on that show before I even knew what Twin Peaks how do was. I, how do I tell people I'm shaking my head in audio <laughs> if they're not watching the YouTube? Anyway, sorry, right, continue. Uh, so that's so like having people speak backwards and and that sort of thing. Anyways, Twin Peaks parodies is like the first I think introduction to David Lynch. The first film that I saw of his was Mulholland Drive, which would have been I think the one that came after the Straight Story, if I'm not mistaken. As a pretentious university student, I tried to convince myself that it was brilliant and that it was like one of uh, my favorite films. In the intervening years, I've had to reveal myself more truthfully and be like, I have no fucking idea what, what goes on in that movie. I've seen it. I'm not even joking, like four or five times. And I still could not describe to you what happens in that movie. And I think that has actually soured me a lot on David Lynch. And I have a little bit of a prejudice against him because there's that movie and i started watching twin peaks when it was still on canadian netflix which i don't think it actually still is on there anymore and i lasted i think halfway through the first season and, and i had to be like you know what i'm just i'm not actually enjoying this experience <laughs> i think it's too weird it's too off-putting that being said i think that there's something about that i do actually enjoy the concept of david lynch more than I actually enjoy the experience of watching a David Lynch movie. I like that there's someone in Hollywood that's like, I don't care about your things that you like to do. I'm just going to do my own thing and be very truthful to that. So, like, I respect him as uh, an artistic force, but I can't really... He's a human. Yeah, you know, I just can't say that I've actually ever really enjoyed... Like, there's not, there's not a deep love of David Lynch that I find some other people have. Like, when the new Twin Peaks came out, Twin Peaks The Return, a couple of years ago... Like it was hailed as one of the, the best quote unquote movies of like the last decade, even though it was a miniseries. And I have a, I hate it when people say that miniseries are movies, but the, it was felt like a theatrical experience and it was structured like a long movie and blah, 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 blah. I don't care. I never watched it because I just had such a, a negative reaction to the first season of Twin Peaks, but it is some people's jam. Great. Uh, I, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. It's just not my thing. And so I haven't seen a lot more outside of Mulholland Drive and some of Twin Peaks. So this will be my first like foray into it. Other than I could actually watch uh, interviews with David Lynch almost all day long. I think he's a fascinating person just to listen to and speak about. I just think he's neat. This film, as you might suspect, as I am an Oscar devotee, uh, knew it from the nominations it got in 1999 because Richard Farnsworth was nominated for Best Actor that year. I think David Lynch was nominated for Best Screenwriter, something like that. He was nominated for yes. something. Yeah, I think so. Um, so there's a couple of nominations that it got. Having re-looked at this, I think it's actually the most bizarre thing that this is actually a Disney film. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> the oddest thing about this entire endeavor is that, wait, David Lynch did a Disney film of all things? But it's not... Is it considered, does Disney acknowledge it? We'll get to that. We'll get to that here in a moment <laughs> on this episode about uh, the weird rights issues that actually this movie has. But let's do this. Let's, let me go and thank some sponsors. And then when we return, 
we'll be talking about the straight story. Hey there, everyone. Just Kyle breaking into the episode one more time to tell you about all of the great people who keep this show going. At least where I am here in Calgary, Alberta, it has been unseasonably warm. So it feels like I should be breaking out the lawnmower here at any moment. I hope anybody who is listening and their families are safe here right now. I realize that depending on where you are, the holidays are going to be looking a lot different. So we really do appreciate you spending like an hour plus of your time listening to us blather on about films from 21 years ago. It also allows me to do my little joke of the straight story. You mean the Tom Cruise biopic? Maybe that will also be released along with the 25 Star Wars films that Disney just talked about yesterday. Regardless, I want you to know that Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by the Calgary Foundation. Whether it's funding anti-racism programs, addiction recovery, or food hampers for the hungry, for 65 years, the Calgary Foundation has proudly supported the charitable community to address some of Calgary's biggest challenges. Now, during this period of unprecedented urgent needs, Calgary Foundation renewed its commitment to build a healthy, vibrant, giving, caring, and resilient community. If you're a registered charity looking for a grant, a professional advisor creating a giving plan for your client, or a donor wanting to give back to community, discover a wealth of resources at calgaryfoundation.org and learn more about their work through Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is also brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. If you switch retailers, nothing changes about the delivery of electricity or natural gas to your home or business. If you have an existing contract, you're going to want to find out the terms for leaving. If you don't, then it's even easier to sign up for Park Power. The choice is yours, and there's a better deal available to you. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Well, Dave, was the, was the journey worth it? Uh, sorry, I'm just waking up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you just you were deep in slumber. <laughs> this was like the best uh, sleeping aid. Um, <laughs> I had to poke you with my poking stick a few times. It was it was fine. Yeah, I, it was not at all what I thought uh, it might be. Okay. You know, when you first said before I knew it was a David Lynch film, there was a movie called The Straight Story. I thought it was going to be something on the LGBTQ, mm, yeah. etc front and then as it started and i realized uh, it's about an old man on a lawnmower I, uh, whose last name is straight that's why it's called the straight yeah. story yeah i wasn't really sure what was going on and then uh, because it was david lynch and his reputation i was expecting this to go off the wheels really quickly mm-hmm. and it didn't uh, well i mean <laughs> uh, something i was gonna mention before the break and, and forgot like outside of the very basic plot description of this movie i actually didn't know what this was about it's like other than him being on the lawnmower going to visit his brother i didn't actually know anything else about this movie so yeah jumping into it and actually uncovering what the story beats are and me being like oh sissy spacex in this i had no idea she was in this uh and and like uh, other actors that actually pop up every so often like oh this guy's in it interesting quick note apparently as i discovered her name is actually pronounced Spacek. Oh, so, she, so she's like uh, Polish or something like that? Yeah, it's a yeah, Polish background, I think. Mm. But but no uh, one says it that way, right? Yeah, so we're all wrong. We're all, we're all wrong. We're all wrong. I've been saying that since day one. To, I guess, go a little bit deeper, like non-spoilery section here. Like, what, yeah, were your, what were your thoughts on the movie as a whole then? As I was watching it, I just thought repeatedly, this is Kyle's jam. Mm, this yeah. is something that Kyle's going to really vibe with because... Uh, this is a farm. Yes. And it's about farm life. Even when they go into a town, it's like a farm town. I don't know. It's it's that nostalgic Americana, good old hometown ethos. And there are classic character story beats, like this sort of 
family-oriented narrative, mm-hmm. we'll call it. I'm just trying not to to talk about the movie at yeah. all. Um, so, so the, you know, I, it is uh, wholesome. And I think I actually, joking aside, watched the whole thing without actually falling asleep. It, as much as I wasn't excited by it, it, it is engaging in its... Uh, unveiling yeah. of what's happening to this guy and learning about who Alan Alvin Alan Strait actually was because yeah. this is apparently Al- a true story. Alvin Strait, yeah, based on a true story. Boy, uh, my feelings actually are complicated about this movie, to be honest. You're right in one thing about me vibing with the journey that Alvin goes on. That I really loved. <laughs> Him actually out on the road traveling by. Like this is essentially a quarter like farm documentary like i don't know like there's the overhead shots and like the just uh framing of it's a lot of wheat wheat a lot and of wheat. the open highway and the, and the clouds and stuff like that like they really linger on those things i found the first 15 maybe up to 20 minutes being like uh-oh i'm gonna hate this movie uh-oh i'm gonna hate this movie yep. uh because i was not vibing with it in the setup like it really is just setting up the fact that this guy's old his brother has had a stroke and he's gonna go and visit him and you could show that by just showing richard farnsworth trying to get onto the lawnmower and that's all that i need to know be like this guy's old like i get it he's old i don't need three separate well, scenes when- to see how old he is before he goes on his journey when I did a little bit of background research, apparently when David Lynch first made Eraserhead, the script is like 25 pages long mm-hmm. and he made an 80-minute 80 mi- 80 movie out of it. So I suspect that this was stretched out by process as much as it was written right. this way, uh, like in hindsight, because uh, I agree with you. Most of the David Lynchness stuff is, is, I think, seeped out of this movie, save for a couple of scenes of like, this is David Lynch to a T, specifically a scene with a deer that I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is very much a David Lynch movie. It is weird and odd. However, there are some very sweet and heartbreaking moments. There is specifically a scene with Richard Farnsworth talking to another old man in a bar about World War Mm, Two. And I was like, I almost wish there was was more of this and less of the other stuff. Uh, having some more of those, like some of those journey scenes, but having more of these interactions with people along the way. That's what I was like vibing with the most. And then we'll talk about the ending here in a bit, but basically complicated. I think there's stuff here that's really strong and other stuff that I think could be completely eliminated and make this such a more succinct and I think better film overall. That's how I feel about your life. But let's get into some backstory here then. So The Straight Story was released on October 15th, 1999. It was released on the same day as Fight Club, which was written by Jim Alls, directed by David Fincher, starring Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, and Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, We have made an entire episode on Fight Clubs. You can go back and listen to that if you'd like. I don't think this movie had a chance when Fight Club opens up. I was going to say... Just like 1999, you can just quickly turn this off and just listen to a Fight Club episode because that's what everybody did that's in right. 1999 anyways. Yeah. Uh, that being said, it is fairly well-reviewed. It is currently rated 8.0 on IMDb, 86 on Metacritic, and then on Rotten Tomatoes from 103 critics, it's rated 95%. And based off of wow. 31,467 users, which is actually pretty low for Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 91%. Wow. It is available on DVD. And that is it. There is no Blu-ray release from this movie and it is on no streaming platform. So let's pause for a second to have this conversation. It is partly owned. It is partly owned by Disney. Disney is like the first production studio that shows up, but it's not on Disney Plus. You cannot buy it even, rent it on any streaming platform whatsoever. Doing a bit of I'll just say surface level research. Uh did you see who the other production company was on this film? No. It is Studio no. Canal or Canal Plus over in France. Right. Which right, France, right. I will say, France loves David Lynch. <laughs> like, loves David Lynch. They would, yeah, they would. Right? They and would. so he often gets part of his financing from, like, all over the world sort of thing. And uh, from what I can understand, they own the international rights to it. And so I think Disney yeah. has just not allowed it to be on any other platform. 
I don't know, out of spite or something like that or what. But even though it's partly owned by Disney, it is not on Disney Plus. You can't get it anywhere. And if I could log in via a France VPN, I could check it out and see if it's somewhere over there. But yeah, you cannot find this movie very easily. Disney probably just forgot that it exists. Good. Because they're just like, there's no singing, there's no uh, princesses, and now there's no exploding superheroes. Uh, It just doesn't register. I will put it to you, Dave, that on the Disney Plus platform is Million Dollar Duck. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> them forgetting about a movie that actually exists. Uh, I don't know if that actually explains it 100% or not. So its budget to make this film was $10 million, which is pretty low, I would say, for a Disney-produced film. It opened to $92,000. It uh, did not do very well in its first opening weekend. Domestically, it would go on to make $6 million. Internationally, Basically nothing but two hundred and thirteen thousand. Uh, so it this total was six million or ten million with inflation. So it did not even cover the budget to this movie. Got some awards recognition, but really this movie was not a huge hit at the time at the box office. Its plot description from IMDb is: An old man makes a long journey by lawnmower to mend his relationship with his ill brother. It stars Richard Farnsworth as Alvin, Sissy Spacek as Rose, and Harry Dean Stanton as Lyle. Uh, anything you want to say about any of those actors, Dave? Sure. I mean, before I get to the dark stuff, I just had this great thought from the plot description of him on that manual lawnmower. Yeah. You know, with the blades and just like almost like a, mm-hmm. like a, what do you call them? Scooter. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I old rascal scooter. Old. Uh, well, I have a sad thing. Okay. Uh, so Richard Farnsworth uh, has an Oscar. So he seems like a nice guy. Start off a stuntman. Yep. Just after he made this movie, he died in two thousand. Yeah. Uh, in two thousand, he killed himself. Yeah. Uh, because he uh, was dying of a very painful terminal cancer. So I I, I will say that you sucks. can yeah the ending is not so nice. You could. If you see him at the Oscar ceremony in 2000, uh, when he was nominated, you can kind of tell. Like, he looks kind of rough. see it. He started, like, years before this. Like, he has a, he has a credit on Gone with the Wind, is how long Richard yeah. Farnsworth was Arild, around. 1920. Yeah. I will say that, actually, the mm-hmm. most I know Richard Farnsworth from is Misery, from 1990. He plays the sheriff right. in Misery, who's great. Uh, and then I he fi- was apparently a chariot driver in Spartacus. Oh, yeah. I mean, you right. want to talk about old. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> talking about uh, Stanley Kubrick again. I find it really weird now is that seeing Spachek, Sissy Spachek, I find it a little bit weird seeing her in this movie, knowing that now she would be in the Richard Farnsworth role. Like, it's just uh, different ages mm. and stuff uh, going on right now. But I mean... Considered one of our great actresses, right? So she has done some really solid work uh, in, in the past. I try to think of where I know her the best from. To be honest, I haven't probably Carrie. Oh yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Now that you say that, yeah, obviously Carrie is going to be like the biggest one that people know her from. Uh, I remember seeing in the bedroom, which I don't think anyone has talked about that movie since it came out in two thousand one. Uh, but she was nominated for Best Actress in, in that role. Definitely got an Oscar for Coal Miner's Daughter back in the 80s or 70s, whenever that movie came out. But I've never seen that movie, so I don't have any relationship with it at all. Coal Miner's Daughter is 1980s, right yeah. in between. You are on your you're on your game. Uh, the only weird thing... Oh, she's cousins with Rip Torn, like first That's cousins. That's weird. Okay. Yeah, so apparently he's the one that got her into some school of acting. Um, oh, by the way, by the way, uh, Dave, the Dave, thing- Dave, by the way, it is actually pronounced torn check. So rip torn check. <laughs> and this is this one you might like. She actually auditioned for Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher auditioned for Carrie. Huh. And they ended up getting Switcher. the opposite roles. That's, uh, yeah. I, I, I would say matter. that the that, right person got the right role, to be perfectly frank. <laughs> well, we will never I know. Guess so. We'll never know. Princess Leia does um, not have yeah, a southern really twang, better. David. Okay. Uh, she tried to start off as a singer. Don't we all? Didn't work out. And she's got a weird song hating on John Lennon and Yoko Ono. But, well, see, uh, this is my thing. Uh, going back to my 
my uh, pet theory that every actor actually wanted to be a singer and every singer wanted to be an actor. You know, we, uh, for the CTV app on the Apple TV, we've uh, okay, been watching you, the sorry, let, me, let me just sit down here because I need to buckle in for this little <laughs> anecdote that you're about to tell me. Yes, your CTV app. I'm just saying. We, there's this show called The Masked Singer, uh-huh. which is uh, awful. But we watch it and uh, you get that sense that whomever is performing, you have to be kind of... Uh, trying to be a triple threat to make it in that industry. Mm-hmm. You can't be one dimensional anymore. They don't, they don't like the Clooney's. You, yeah. you got to be able to fight now. You got to do backflips. That's it. And there was another thing that said she's related to King Edward the first, but who cares? <laughs> who who, Not our who isn't? Uh, and then Harry Dean Stanton has been in basically every movie ever made for like 40 something years <laughs> before he passed away a th- yeah. few years ago. The only weird thing that popped up, which I thought was fascinating. Oh, uh, apparently, Roger Ebert, your hero, yeah. uh, loves Harry Dean Stanton. He's got a rule that if Harry Dean Stanton and somebody are, are in a film, that it's an automatically good movie, <laughs> which is a weird thing for yeah. a critic to say. Bias. A little bit biased. Um, apparently, he and his family were once tied up and pistol whipped in a home robbery. Oh, God. <laughs> he, he looks like... So that came up. He does look like generic old man, but uh, he is... No, he's, he's good. He is good in everything that he's in. I don't. I can't say it automatically makes it a good movie, but he's definitely good in everything that I've ever seen him in. Even if he's only he's in like literally one scene in the Avengers, just randomly shows up oh, in the oh. Avengers. Is he? So it said he's an alien. Is he the guy the alien rips out of the stomach of? No. Oh, an alien. Yes, 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 yes. He yeah. is right. Yeah. Okay. Kind of adding to the weirdness of a <laughs> of a David Lynch project here. This was written by John Roach and Mary Sweeney. I think every single other movie project, David Lynch has actually written the script that he's directed. But in this one instance, he did not. So this is John Roach's only writing credit. He never wrote anything before or after this. And this was Mary Sweeney's first writing credit. She'd go on to write a couple of other films and an episode of the TV show The Romanoffs. She was also married to David Lynch for a year. I will point that out. Uh, But she's... More well, apparently, she was his. Yeah, editor I was gonna say because her whole career, yeah, her yeah. whole career, she was editor, producer, worked on David Lynch's other projects like Twin Peaks, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, uh, and they married, I think, in two thousand one and divorced in two thousand one. But anyways, yeah. I think they still work together. Like I months. think they still work together. Yeah, directed, of course, by David Lynch. He started with short films, but came to prominence by writing and directing Eraserhead and then The Elephant Man. That film, he'd receive an Oscar nomination for Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, this would be actually a uh, tradition for him being nominated for Best Director, but his uh, movie not being nominated for Best Picture. He took that success to make Doom, Blue Velvet, which would earn him his second Oscar nomination for directing. And then uh, other films he made are Wild at Heart, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, and Lost Highway. And then his next project after this was Mulholland Drive, which would bring him his last major film success. He'd be nominated for his third Best Director Oscar. And then he'd direct one more film in 2006 called Inland Empire. And since that time, he's written and directed a bunch of short films, like just a crap load of them, plus 18 episodes of The Return of Twin Peaks in 2017. Uh, But otherwise, since 2006, he has not directed a feature film. So I don't know what's going on with him. Maybe he just got fed up with Hollywood and decided to walk away. Well, it turns out he's a painter. Just like George W. Bush. And, well, originally trained as a painter. Mm. And the, I've seen some of his paintings and they're dark. And he's described his paintings as organic, violent comedies. So that basically tells you <laughs> everything, everything you, you need, need to know, know. about David Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> so the quick thing is apparently George Lucas asked him to direct Return of the Jedi, which wild. I think is hilarious. That would have been wild. Yes. Even weirder, he was offered Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Really? And he turned that down because he's like, why would I direct this movie? No, uh, <laughs> he does not fit that. I could see a David Lynch Star Wars movie. I think that would actually kind of work. Yeah. I do not. Well, we got one. Dude. I guess that's true. Yeah. I, I do not see him directing a, uh, <laughs> a teen comedy. That just does not fit with his aesthetic at all. Although... He did make the straight story, so yeah. I mean, what do we really know? Which is, um, you know, and then the only thing, just R-rated hijinks after R-rated hijinks is the straight story. <laughs> just nonstop sex and drugs yeah. with old people. We need to make that movie. I do like this one thing I learned is that he says he's a big born movie fan, mm-hmm. but he thinks the first one is the best. So I think that's in your face, Paul Greengrass, you hack. I don't know. He, he's got a pretty 
obviously weird life. There's a little tidbit that kind of like Fresh Prince, he was, uh, he got his first wife and him bought a house for like nothing, but in the worst neighborhood in Philly. <laughs> and they were raising their daughter and there was gun violence and they got robbed and stolen cars and dead people and all this kind of stuff. And then they made the move to LA where he uh, got his big break. So, yeah. you know, I just thought a little Fresh Prince you know, mythology yeah. there. Uh, it has nothing to do with that show. So, uh, well, that's about it. I guess mo- moving on to like spoilers here now, like what do you, where do you want to start with this movie, Dave? Like what worked for you? What didn't work for you? It's how the whole movie uh, reflects that you're not really given a lot of grounding. So for example, never mind the way she speaks, there are those moments she's looking out with melancholy at that weird month. I mean, that's a Lynch thing. This weird thing with a sprinkler and a ball mm-hmm. and a kid that comes out and then standing. You can see his work as a photographer. I mean, those mm-hmm. are sort of photographs, but that little montage is probably, it felt like 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, and you don't understand, like I didn't understand what was going on until, what is it? Like 30 minutes later, he's telling the story. Is it to the hitchhiker that he recounts the story of how she lost her kids? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this kind of, yeah, non-linear, this is a very linear film, but it's told in a non-linear way. Sure. Uh, so, you kind of have to get a ground of what's going on in reflection. You know, even even the opening sequence was so weird with the lady. I, I've never understood the foil sun tanning, yeah. you know, outdoors. That's such an American picture. I, like, I don't really understand why people do that, especially white people who apparently burn easier, but they put a big foil sheet that's a thing that is very Americana, but uh, that whole opening sequence, I, like you, I was saying like, what am I, what am I watching? Why do I have to finish this? If I was at a theater, I might've walked out already and asked for my five <laughs> bucks back. <laughs> oh, you, you, you haven't been to a theater recently if you think a movie costs five dollars. I'm just saying, if it was oh, okay, okay. <laughs> this movie's not coming back for another run. And uh, I would have immediately gone next door and watched Fight Club again. So mm-hmm. um, I think working through it though, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, like the moment he starts meeting people on the journey, like I didn't really vibe with the old, there was a couple of chuckles because, you know, mm-hmm. everybody likes to laugh at old men, but um, that small town, empty main street thing, I don't care. But once he's on the road, even even before the uh, hitchhiker scene, the fact that he breaks the first tractor yeah, or a uh, lawnmower, I, I was suddenly like, you know what? This movie's got a little, it's got something. Yeah, yeah. It's not just going to be him putting around the, uh, he fucked it up, but he still wants to go. So I was like, you know, there's a little bit of, not an odyssey, but there's this feeling that this is going to be a real, uh, maybe an odyssey. There's going to be a, a story in this. And then all the all of the actual interactions with the people he meets on the road are great, actually. I I think that's where the uh, the writing in the movie has real meat. Yeah. And uh, I too thought the veteran to veteran storytelling was like the, the mea culpa, the, the best part of the film. That re- revelation of... Uh, the kill shot that's and and the emotion i mean I, I guess that's why he was nominated for an oscar but that scene with the two old men mm-hmm. you could just it just felt very real sitting in this bar by the end i don't know i um like i said i, I didn't leave i wasn't bored you know i thought it was fine um, <laughs> yeah it's almost harder to talk about movies where you think it's like it's 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 okay it's it's not great or or awful uh, you're just trying to pull things out and I don't know, trying to wrestle with them a little bit more. I, I, I do want to, I you know, lean in a little bit with that veteran scene because I think that is the crux of this movie. The, the rain cloud or, or the thing that's um, overhead the entire time is him eventually meeting his brother. We know through dialogue that there was an argument of some kind, that there was a breakdown in that relationship for like the last decade. And it's never explicitly said now, you said that you think that it was the brother who caused the fire? No, I think he did. Okay. I, the reason why I got that, I mean, just quickly, not to move away from your uh, suggestion of conversation topic, but since you brought up quickly, for those, I mean, nobody who's listening to this is going to be able to watch this movie. So, um, on the first leg of his second journey, let's call it, his actual journey on the road, he passed by a hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. And when they're Sitting together, it's a young woman who's running away from her family. So, he recounts the tale of his daughter, Sissy Spacek's character. And we understand a little bit why she's finally, we finally understand why she's staring out of the window yeah. and staring at these kids and crying all the time. So, it turns out that she is mentally disabled. Um, she had kids. She went out 
They were under with some caregiver. The house went on fire. I can't remember if they said they all survived and one was badly burnt or they all died. Oh, and one no, survived, no. So they went, they, I think one got badly burnt, but they all got taken into, put into foster care. That's what they say. And then they were put into foster care because she was deemed uh, unable to care for them. And uh, so that's quite a jar. And it's used so well to kind of, I, I, you know, what I loved about that part is he's not telling this young woman uh, to go home. He's just giving her his experience of this deep regret and these familial uh, connections that she cries every day, missing her kids and like life is not fair. And and so this woman gets this life lesson. But later when he meets those uh, folks who fix the tractor, he refuses to go into that house. Mm-hmm. And even to the point where the guy's like, you know, the phone's right in the kitchen and he won't enter the house. I just felt like there was a weird tension there because, you know, why does it matter so much? That they, they point at that at least three times in that conversation. I think that that nice homeowner asks him inside like so many times, but he'd rather sit in that uh, dirt heap trailer he constructed for himself. And I just got this moment where I was just thinking, he must, I think he was involved. And I think that there's deep, deep found regret in everything that's revealed in his life. It feels like his entire life has been these tragic errors. And so it leads uh, to your kind of wanting to spend time with the veterans. Um, even there, as the story unwinds itself, which is a fantastic uh, script portion like it's it's the conversation so well written and believable when he finally recounts his world war experience i mean it's pretty gripping it's uh it's some gripping stuff yeah it's like i guess you don't really realize what you have until it's gone right paved paradise put up a parking lot am i right i think the tragedy of life in many ways is that when you're growing up you think like the stories of your parents or even your grandparents or have nothing to do with you and you're not as interested and then you get older and want to hear those stories and either they're too old to remember or they can't remember or they passed away and they can't tell you about it anymore and there's a bit of a tragedy i've always found with that like the moment i really wanted to know more about my grandmother she was unable to tell me more about her life is it in this movie or it's just a general adage right youth is wasted on the young i think uh uh, he's got a different line, actually, about being old. They ask him, right? Those uh, yeah. the frat boys. Oh, I can't remember what he's saying. Oh, no, I can't he's, remember. Uh, I didn't write it down. But uh, All right, we'll look it up. Anyway, so keep going, keep going. Well, I was going to say, too, is that it's interesting that we've watched this movie right after we saw Magnolia, where Magnolia is really concerned with the relationship between fathers and sons. Well, at least fathers and, and children uh, in that film. I actually find this film is much more the relationship between siblings is what keeps kind of coming up again and again. Uh, He's, of course, going to see his brother. I mean, they call them brothers, the people that they went and fought with. I think that that idea of brotherhood is actually this recurring theme that keeps popping up. Even Even the young girl who's running away, there is that that tension about the secret that she doesn't really well. She's pregnant is is part of the reason why she's running away. But there's an unsaid thing about why that would be such a big deal to reveal to the family. We can fill in the blanks, of course. But uh, I think that there is, uh, again, this idea of family. What is family? Where do you find that family? And really that outpouring of, of kindness that he sees throughout his journey. He is this doddering old man. And I think there's this idea in present uh, to time 2020 that he would have been robbed five miles into his journey and left for dead on the side of the road and yet he makes this like two-state journey because of the kindness of strangers like he has helped along two or three times because of people that have uh allowed their kindness to shine through specifically about that scene that i love though is there's that revealing i think that so often we look at that generation who is essentially almost all died out now like the world war ii veterans that you know played everything close to their chest they didn't show emotion and i feel like this actually might be a window into the world of going into a legion or going into an old dive bar in those little small towns where real truths were on earth but only amongst each other they would not say this to their family they would not say this to someone someone else that hadn't already had a part of that life experience at the same time yeah i think Again, because nobody can watch this movie, you know, the big reveal, if we're going to spoil that much, is the friend he makes talks about um, how difficult it was to be a soldier. And 
Uh, Alvin Strait's story was uh, that story, plus he inadvertently, he was a great sniper, apparently inadvertently had killed one of his own men in, a, in mm-hmm. an ambush. And I think um, I watched this video a few months ago, and it was uh, a British World War II vet meeting a, a young veteran from Afghanistan. And it was, I think, around mental illness, but kind of as you brought up, this sort of PTSD-inducing army culture where uh, you just put up or shut up. Right. And uh, and shut up. But it's it was a similar feel when this old man, even though they're fundamentally different wars, the experience at its core is the same. And uh, they're both weeping and they've both been shot. They've both lived in, in, in fear. And, um, you know, to your earlier point, trying to compare it to Magnolia, I think... I agree. The fam- familial themes are important, but I think this movie is told with a sense of grace because it's not. Magnolia is like this finger pointing, angsty highlight of relationships. Yeah. It's like the father's shit, the son's shit, everybody's shit, fuck everybody. This movie is more about a man coming to terms with the mistakes, not even mistakes, but the decisions and the life that he's led through the way he speaks to everyone he meets and that sense of vulnerability and that sense of like just putting it out for for us but you know in this narrative for other people to see him as he is in his last days of his life is why i could keep watching this movie i thought it had a great soul his quote i I just googled it uh when the kid asked him you know like what's the i don't remember what he said when he was the best part of being old but he asked him what the worst part of being old is and he said the worst part of being old is remembering that you i was young right right and even that is like you know it's not that hollywood right it's not this thing where he's like talking about how he's in his golden age yeah there's a lot of remorse but it's done uh, without a lot of that violence and anger it's just he's he's driving through it he's he's riding it out on his mower well i think that there is in a way, like the more I thought about it, I feel like his journey, at least in the film, again, don't know about like the real life story necessarily, but at least in the film, it feels like him being on this mower, going to his brother is a sort of penance that he's giving to himself because he could mm. go, he could go by bus. He could have someone drive him over there. There's other ways to get to his brother if he really wanted to. And he's decided, nope, I got to do it this way. And this is the way I'm going to do it. Right I'm going to do it over yeah. whatever it is, two and a half months of driving by lawnmower. It's like f- and uh, <laughs> I actually like the other quote that he has, which is like, you can tell a lot about a person who calls them wieners. And I think it's 100% true <laughs> instead of hot dogs. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there's all there's eventually and it only like it's the very end of the film where he meets Harry Dean Stanton. He, co- he comes to his brother's house eventually. Just so you know, Harry Dean Stanton is my brother, too. And it's only like a five minute scene before the credits are starting to go. Like it really is them seeing each other sitting down and there's about to be a conversation with them. I don't know. What did you how did you take that scene? I mean, it's bipolar, right? There's an element where it feels anticlimactic, and then there's an element where it has a beauty in it because you, it doesn't matter what they say. There's a lot of emotion that's portrayed, and the fact that they sit together on the porch. Mm-hmm. It's so old American, but they sit together on the porch. I mean, that in itself is a visual representation of a piece being brokered. Um, I don't think that adding dialogue would have added anything. It might have uh, belabored a point, you know, if they're just like, oh, forgive you, man. Or like, remember when I see, you know, I think it might have been right, which is too much. Weirdly but- is what I was kind of expecting in the back of my mind, because again, I saw Disney being the first company in this film. Yeah. I honestly thought Disney likes to hit your head over. Right. I yeah. honestly thought that yeah. is actually how this movie was going to end. And they don't give it to you that way. It's more like this is the very beginning of this relationship being mended for who knows how long before one of them passes away. Like this is very much the end of their relationship together. It hit me very. This is probably why Disney has disowned maybe, this movie. Maybe they're like, well, you didn't say it. You didn't say it. We don't want to watch and yet it. They, We're not leaving anything to our yet viewers. They're still streaming the computer wore tennis <laughs> shoes. It hit me a lot more because there is actually something similar that's happened in my immediate family. So my dad has a brother i have an uncle oliver who i have never met in my entire life i know i have cousins who i have also never met in my entire life i only know bits and pieces uh because he doesn't like to talk about it all that much all i know is that there was some disagreement that they had earlier in their life that has kind of caused them not to talk to each other at all anymore which is unfortunate 
Uh, but I don't try and push that. However, there was a moment here a few years ago where apparently my uncle had a stroke who was in the hospital. And my dad was like, I need you to go and take me to the hospital. I need to go and talk to him. And so we took him to the hospital. He went and visited. It was just him who went into 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 the room. Again, have never seen this man in my entire life. And it was a very short conversation, apparently. But I could tell how much that affected my dad right after. He's very quiet and he's not a very quiet person <laughs> for like the rest of the day. So I take a look at this and I, and I really do feel like siblings have just a very different energy and a very different relationship, even if you don't talk to each other. Because like, hey, we grew up. We went through some things together. There's almost that going to war kind of mentality where it's like, hey, we all kind of survived this thing together. There's often uh, unsaid. So even if you have those breakdowns in your in your relationship, you can kind of pick it up again uh, if need be. I guess what I'm, what I, why I'm using that anecdote is that it was so bittersweet to me to see these old guys try and talk to each other but knowing that they're still two old guys who have their own egos and stuff together and i think they're at least the richard farnsworth character is trying to show grace and i guess it's up to our imagination to know if the harry dean stanton is going to be receptive to it because we don't really know specifics in their relationship at all i mean i do like that they do show when they sit that he the brothers moved mm-hmm. it's not like he you know he did, he's not like this cartoon character <laughs> and shuts the door in his face sure. or something like they they have this look, and they sit, and um, and even as they fade out, I don't understand the star stuff, but that might be a Dave Lynch thing. Yeah. Of course, a Capricorn would say that. It reminds me, I don't know if we've brought up on this podcast, but when we uh, did that podcast brunch club that we do together with that trauma expert, right? and he brought up how even with siblings, they have different parents and different experiences, because the way they received Ada and the way that, you, let's say, your parents treat you is fundamentally different, even right. if they're trying to do the same thing. Uh, sorry, just, so, to, just to fill people in, just to fill people who are listening to this, uh, I host something called Podcast Brunch Club, which is a worldwide organization that give you certain podcast episodes to listen to each month. And yes, one month we were listening to, I think it was trauma in general, wasn't it, was the topic? Uh, I think it might have been addiction. Oh, sorry. It, yeah. might be trauma, it was addiction. Was the, it was a yeah. topic. And one of them was this trauma expert talking about their expertise. Right. And I'll just quickly say the host of that podcast, an idiot. But um, I thought it was fascinating. And to your point, it's not restricted to families, but I think families bear this burden the heaviest because the weight, the sort of uh, relationship uh, connections that you have with I mean, this old school blood relatives mm-hmm. has a lot more implied... Uh, responsibility, whether people can live up to it or not, or whether they like it or not, or, you know, whatever actually happens in the world, whether it's even supposed to be that way, I don't know. There's something about being in a family group that, you know, culturally uh, puts a lot more burden on you. And if that breaks, that fracture can be so much deeper. My, my mom's got stories about her extended family back in Korea that are like that, relationships that were broken. Um, mm-hmm. And Helen's told me some stuff about her family. This is not a rare thing. And I've met a lot of people that don't get along either directly or have, like you said, uh, their parents or their cousins or somebody where they point in different directions, whatever their beliefs are, but they carry that. I mean, I, I know I do. When I didn't get along with my family, it was all my own craziness, but it's not like I didn't think about it every day. It affects, it colors everything you do. So I think that's one of the powerful points of this movie and the Disney aspect is that it follows a man. I, I think you had, you had brought a great thing and maybe this is why I thought of the Odyssey at the beginning. This is a trial he sets for himself yeah. uh, for atonement because you're right. Throughout the movie, he's offered, it's not even just at the beginning, through every stage he's offered an easy way out, some kind of reprieve. And I don't even know if it's stubbornness. I think it's, I think it's self-awareness that it's not enough for him to just pop up at a door and, and just say, yeah, I heard you're dying. He, like he needs to show his brother or himself that this is worth the trip. Um, and it's, you know, of course, dovetailed at the end with the sit down with the priest mm. or, or whatever pastor. I can't remember what denomination is yeah. in the graveyard. And that's a great spiritual talk too about this sort of thing, about penance and about coming to terms with one's life. So you know, those are the strongest parts of this narrative. And that's the part yeah. that kept me in. Is, uh, I'm and, really I, and I know, for... like, we had, we <laughs> just watched this movie, and it wasn't, like, almost a week ago that I watched it. Right, right. I think it was right. with the priest in, in, the, uh, in the graveyard, too, where they have a conversation, and one of them says, 
you know, there's a lot of men just trying to forget. And I, I don't know that that quote just stood out mm-hmm. to me because I think that's true. I think that that's our kind of our go to. We're just trying to forget the past or trying to forget the things that make us more self-aware about the pain that we've caused other people. We tend to just like try and brush that away. But I think this movie what it's trying to do is even at that advanced stage, really grappling with that and being like, no, I can still make amends. And I can still seek not forgiveness, but seek uh, grace and, and show grace no matter what age I happen to be. It's not enough just to forget. You also have to, you have to work through that. We were just watching Lord of the Rings and uh, extended and cut a scene or just in regular the first cut. Movie. Uh, it's on Netflix. We did. This is how I know I've evolved. I watched the regular cut, uh, Kyle, and I didn't watch it in single like sittings. A I'm like I'm grown up. <laughs> I'm mature now, <laughs> and I didn't get upset uh, of the plot changes. But there's that scene. Uh, I don't remember the exact uh, breakdown, but you know Frodo's uh, re- uh, regretting. They're in the caves of Mo- uh, Moria. And he's, you know, he's like lamenting how he has this burden and they wish they had started earlier, et cetera. And Gandalf has that line, right? It doesn't matter where you've been. It, all that matters is what you do at the time you're given, mm-hmm. uh, something along those lines. And I, I've been also connected to this phrase, like, or this concept of good conscience, which is to me right now, you know, this guy, Alvin Strait, for whatever, it sounds like he's made terrible mistakes. He talks about being a, a violent alcoholic. He talks about these brutal, traumatic life experiences. But finally, in this moment, he's like, I'm going dri- to drive this lawnmower. I'm going to do the right thing. And uh, in the end, I feel like he doesn't have to regret any of those stories. It becomes cathartic. I mean, being able to tell a guy in a bar that he killed his friend uh, by accident. Uh, it's probably something obviously he's never told anyone before. <laughs> you got to let that go, right? And uh, it's not like they show a scene after where he's like, "Why did I tell this guy?" I'm gonna, you know, right. it's you get this feeling like this is good. Should I tell you about the time I killed a man? All this to be said, I mean, I, I pull a lot of great value from the themes of the movie. It's not built well. <laughs> the movie itself, there's a reason why it doesn't exist on streaming. It's, well, what I actually thought it's was pretty boring. Well, yeah, boring is is a word. I would say, if I was being nice, I would say deliberate. Uh, but uh, I mm. I agree with that. I I also think and this is a, is a David Lynch thing, where it almost feels like it's shot to be shown on television. There's literally like fades to black, mm. and then like I see when I'm watching yeah. TV episodes on Netflix. Um, it's it is structured kind of weirdly and edited kind of weirdly, but again, that is David Lynch and how he wants his stuff to to be seen. I thought it was a 1999 thing, but you're right, and it brings me a bit quick to this trivia point that apparently Mulholland Drive was originally pitched as a television. It show. was a TV movie, and then he made a feature film out ah. of it. So there actually exists the TV ah. movie version and then the feature film version that has different people in it. So interesting, weird. So yeah, to your point that I, now that you brought it up, I can't. I, that's how I remember it. Mm-hmm. It feels like a made-for-TV movie, yeah. uh, except that it's slow. I mean, it's only an hour and a half or hour forty minutes, but it felt it's under two hours. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, because yeah, it felt like a bit of a grind. Yeah, it keeps you in though. I mean, if you're if you're into the story, it'll keep you in there because it's not poorly written. It's just it could have been done in probably sixty minutes. It could have been a, a television show. We're done here. The, the uh, machinist told us that we do need to wrap up. So let's ask the questions that we often ask on this show. Do you think this holds up? And do you think this is culturally relevant still? No. Uh, culturally relevant only in the, theme, in the themes that we talk about. I think uh, the philosophies, let's I say. I think there's scenes that I think could hold their own. Like sure. if you made like a short film out of just them talking at the bar. Yes. Yes. It would be great. Yeah. It would be phenomenal. But not as a movie. I, we forgot quickly to bag on this weird... There's a moment where he apparently witnesses a car accident and this hysterical woman's talking about a deer. hitting a deer every day How, on the same stretch yeah, of highway. Yeah, like that dramatic zoom into his face so that was like weird. straight yeah. up like a 70s cheesy action film. Yeah, yeah. So random. And it, and it didn't play at all in any other part of the movie. <laughs> she didn't come back. The theme of hitting a deer off. I mean, maybe that's a metaphor of his life, but it doesn't matter. It's... Okay, anyways. It just is like this goofy, <laughs> yeah, it just feels like this goofy excuse to it's have break. like a weird scene in the Yeah. Um like like part of this movie is structured kind of like um like film noir. Like it is not shot in that style, but in that you're going to see these interesting characters and there's like individual scenes building up to the very end. 
Or have you ever seen like the really bizarre Scorsese movie called After Hours? No. So it's in 1985. It's I think his only technical comedy that he's ever directed. And it's literally this guy's one night in New York City where like literally everything goes wrong and like everyone is acting at an 11 um, and it's, everything is so bizarre for that one scene. Basically, think of that deer scene, but as an entire movie. <laughs> and that's what after that's what after hours feels like to me. But that it didn't fit the tone of the rest of the movie. So it was like, what is what is happening? <laughs> Why is this happening in this movie right now? You know, I just had this thought. This movie kind of reminds me of a more recent movie called Nebraska with is it Brewster? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's obviously a different movie, but just this uh, slow moving Americana about a man an old man sort of reviewing his life. I think that movie's a lot more... I think Nebraska... I was going to say, I think Nebraska's stronger yeah, in its themes. It's but... a lot better movie than this. But So, yeah, I don't think it holds up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to your point, like, taking pieces out, I mean, it's not the movie that holds up. Those are just universal narrative exactly. concepts that are great. Yeah. So that's what Dave and I thought. Uh, but what do you think? You can send feedback to Kyle and Dave versus the machine at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. And if you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as $1 a month. Of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. But let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, what would you rate this movie out of five? I'm going to lowball it. I think like a two. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we're drawing a lot that I like, uh, but I, I don't think I'd ever want to watch this movie again. And I think that these themes that are well represented are done better uh, elsewhere. So, and uh, you know, even uh, what's his name, Farnsworth, Richard Farnsworth, yeah, an Oscar-winning performance. I mean, the first hour right. until he hits the bar, I I didn't even think he was acting. I don't know. I uh, <laughs> he just was, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I felt a little underwhelmed by the actual movie itself. I will say this: I really wrestled with how I wanted to rate this. I will say most of this movie, I was thinking three, 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 three. I'm going to give this movie a three, probably. I, I honestly, I'm giving it a half a star more just for the couple of scenes that I thought were like super, super stellar. So I'm rating this film, I wouldn't say relative, well, relatively higher than you, but <laughs> it's kind of my like, honestly, this is like my go-to rating if it's like, eh, it was okay. So I'm giving it 3.5 is what I'm giving this how is a 70% uh, okay? I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of uh, percentage. I am going, I'm going letter grade because that would basically make this a B minus in my university classes. So it's not like it's an amazing piece of work. I feel like, uh, I'm just saying, I feel like a Darth Sidious and I'm slowly corrupting you. And at some point you're going <laughs> to join me where we're, we're going to cynically give everything. Everything's going to start at a zero and have to earn their way up. To a, to a four or five. Here's your tip, and I'm going to take a dollar away every time you do something wrong. Well, Dave, that means that it does average out to 2.75, which unfortunately makes it tie with seven other films. I'm ready. So I'll go from top to bottom. Tarzan, Notting Hill, South Park, Sleepy Hollow, Mystery Men, She's All That, and Ravenous. So how would you fit that into those? I was thinking below, below, below until we got to She's All That. I, I think I would put it above She's All That. What was above She's yes, All That? Yes, I would agree with that. Mystery Men. Oh, man. You know, I, I remember liking that movie more until we rewatched it, right? Like, Right. I, held, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I held that movie in quite high esteem. And then after that, it's your favorite, right? South Park? No, it's uh, Sleepy Hollow. It's oh, right above Sleepy Mystery Men. I might put it between Sleepy Hollow and Mystery Men. I, I don't oh. know. My favorite threesome. Well, then we won't have to fight very much because that's what I was going to actually say <laughs> is I think it should go between those two. Yeah. I think Sleepy Hollow is a better film. I would rewatch uh, that movie over this one yeah. if I was given the option. Yeah, that's fair. So that means that the straight story is entering our list at the number 32 position. Mm. Boy, we've seen a lot of films, haven't we, Dave? Oh, it's getting crazy. 
not not to mention all the other movies we're watching on the side. Like I finished the Lord of the Rings trilogy last week. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, not that we're going to be watching Citizen Kane together at some point in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Let's find out what we're watching next week. Let me push this button. Oh, I'm actually this is super exciting, Dave. Next week we're going to be talking about Man on the Moon. Ah. I this is one of my actually on a list that I am actually ashamed to have never seen. Cause I honestly think this is going to be like very much my jam, <laughs> and I, I'm going to like it a whole lot. Uh, mostly because it in, includes Jim Carrey, who I happen to like. It's talking about Andy Kaufman, who I love his story. It's directed by Milos Forman, who I'm a big fan of his direction, and it's probably going to be at least part of that story is going to be about professional wrestling. Which means I get to bore you with my wrestling knowledge, which Spoiler I'm alert. sure you Jeez. are so happy about. You're going to be so happy about some wrestling. As it's the 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 correct. Have you term. seen Man on the Moon? Yes, I watched it. I think with Helen, although I, I think she's going to disavow that probably in the mid 2000s, <laughs> but not when it came out in theaters. And uh, right. yeah, I'm pretty sure technical term is wrestling with an apostrophe. If you have time, anyone who's listening. And you like to watch them. If you like to watch the movies along with us, watch Man on the Moon, and then immediately after, or at least the next day, watch the documentary Jim and Andy that is on Netflix, because uh, it makes a really great double feature that you should watch. But we're getting close to Christmas here, Dave. Mm. But uh, because it's December, the Yule Tide. <laughs> it is December. Yep. So really, I don't know why you brought this lawnmower over in the first place. I, what kind of grass are you cutting out there? But the reality is I'm just towing my toilet so that I can dump the <laughs> septic here. Yeah, I just, I didn't have anywhere else to put it. That's what's in the back. I always knew you were full of crap, Dave. I am so turned on right now.